It is my great joy to welcome you here to City Reach LA this morning. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. Before I begin today, uh, I wanted to start with this. One of our core values here at City Reach LA is local and global mission, which means we don't just take care of our own and we don't just take care of our city. We join Jesus in the redemptive work that he's doing all over the world. So we, we make movements outward. And one of the ways that we're reaching globally this year is a trip we're taking in August. Eight of us from City Reach LA will be joining Global Passion, which is a, a, a missions organization. We're going to be going on a trip to Colombia, where we'll be serving at a children's home just outside Bogota. Now, this is pretty awesome. The director of the home used to be a general of a guerrilla warfare unit, and she met Jesus, and she got saved, and she turned her life around, and now she's running this home with, with a bunch of kids who have been rescued from extreme and dire situations. And the majority of our trip, we're going to be spending time with the kids at the home, at this home, serving the leaders in the home, um, helping with projects at the home, playing with the kids, talking to the kids, praying with the kids, holding babies that don't have families. I mean, this is like real Jesus work. And the reason I bring it up today is because when I initially set up this trip, what I told our church is that my hope for our church is that everybody would pray about going and pray for the team going that everyone would give towards the trip, and that some would go on the trip. Eight have decided to go. This trip is not a vacation for us. This is not about travel. This is not about putting another stamp on our passports. This trip is about global mission. It's about taking part in what Jesus is doing globally, beyond L.A. And the eight of us, I, wanna, I want you to hear this, the eight of us are going as an extension of our church. City Reach L.A. is sending a team from our church family to go make a difference in the lives of kids that Jesus loves very much. I want you guys to hear that. So I'm calling on our church. If you consider this church family, if you consider Reach LA home, I want to ask you to pray about giving towards this trip. I want you to ask Jesus how much he would like for you to give to help this team get there. The trip is going to cost about $1,900 for each person to go. And the church is not covering costs. Each person has to raise the funds. Each person has to take time off of work to do this. So I'm asking our church family to help this team get to Columbia. This is home for you. I'm asking you to give. And I'm asking that everyone give. And the amount's not the issue. If it's $2 or $20 or $200 or $2,000, what can you do? Even more importantly, what might Jesus be asking you to do towards this trip? It's, um, I made it easy to make a donation. You go on our website. We have a little, um, on the, the giving page, there's a, a, a little thing that says Columbia Missions Trip, or you can give it the back on the, in the box right there. Just note that it's for Columbia. And I know some people get weird when people talk about money in the church, and I know pastors sometimes even get weird when they talk about money in the church, but I have no shame about this. I have no reservations. I'm unapologetically asking you to be a giver at this church and a regular a regular and consistent giver at this church because I believe in the mission of this church. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in the service that we do. I believe in the redemptive work we do here. As a church, we are steadfast and we are committed to joining God in the renewal of our city and our world. So we resolve to be radically defined as a generous community because Jesus has been radically generous with us. So please ask Jesus, what should I do? What should I give towards this trip? And then make a note so you don't forget it. And then follow through and help the team get to Columbia as we follow Jesus beyond L.A. Sound good? Good. All right. We are in our Jesus Invented Coffee Sermon Series for the month of April. Can I get a good amen? You guys been enjoying this? I have. Gosh. I Here's how I've been framing the series. When you create something... You always put something of yourself. You always reveal something of yourself in your creation. A part of you is always going to show up in what you create, at least subtly in your work. Whether you're involved in the arts 
or gardening or cooking or education or app design creators, what they do is they pour something of themselves into their work. And this is true because it's true of God. The creator, something of him is in everything that he has created, in all created things. It's not just man and woman. It's all created things that reveal the glory of God, the splendor of God, the majesty of God. And this is why I'm talking about coffee for a month. Not because I'm just passionate about coffee, which I am passionate about coffee, and you're finding more and more why I'm passionate about coffee, but because this marvel that Jesus invented reflects something majestic about the, about the divine. It, it reveals something so splendorous about the divine. Two weeks ago, I spoke about brokenness, that we are invited to the downward path, allowing our wounds to, be, to become redemptive for those that we come into contact. Last week, I spoke about honor, that the table calls us to, to the individuals in front us, of us to see them, to honor them as souls, as ones loved of God. If you, if you missed either of them, give them a listen on our podcast, on our Facebook Live. We record everything Facebook Live right here. You can go on the Facebook page and watch the sermons if you miss them. Today, I'm excited to share a message with you entitled The Gift of Diversity. Here's my plan. I want to talk about coffee. Then I want to tell you a story you've probably heard a hundred times. And then I want to talk about being a good neighbor. And here's how I want to frame the message today. Every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. The determining factor for you will be in how you think about other. I want to say that again. Every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. And the determining factor for you will be in how you think about other. To start, coffee. One of the things I love most about coffee is the diversity of coffee. Comes, coffee comes from many places all over the world, many countries all over the world. And the flavor notes that you drink when you, dr when you enjoy a cup of coffee, well, at least a good cup of coffee, because a bad cup of coffee is just going to taste like smoke. It's just going to taste like, like dirt. But a good cup of coffee, the flavor notes that you're going to taste are going to be impacted by where that, that coffee plant was grown and harvested. Let me show you what I mean. Generally speaking, I'm going to put the slide up. This is general, and this is only a few. But generally speaking, coffee plants from Brazil are going to, produce this smooth, chocolatey nut. And chocolatey looks weird without the E, though, right? But I looked it up, and that's how, that's how it goes, actually. But they taste smooth and chocolatey and nutty. Ethiopia is light. It's floral. It's tea-like. It's blueberries are classic. Sometimes you just take a good Ethiopian. It's like, wow, there's blueberries in my cup right now. India, it's spicy. It tastes like spices, actually, right? No surprise to that. Nicaragua, there's like the stone fruits, and there's tobacco flavors in it because of the cigars that are grown in in Nicaragua. Kenya, my favorite, bright, juicy, grapefruity. Tom's drinking something right now that has like papaya guava flavors in there from Kenya. It's so good. Colombia, very bold, berry-like. And this is just a few examples. And the region and the farm inside the country can change it just a little bit. But basically, generally speaking, this is what you get when you, when you get beans from these countries. Um, and now to get even more specific, <coughs> This is what the Specialty Coffee Association came out with not too long ago. This is called the Flavor Wheel. Now, I want to zoom into just the fruity section. Blackberry, raspberry, blueberry, strawberry, raisin, prune, coconut, cherry, pomegranate, pineapple, grape, apple, peach, pear, grapefruit, orange, lemon, lime. <laughs> and this is only the fruity section. There's the florals, there's the sweets, there's the roasted, there's the greens, there's the sours. Coffee is incredibly diverse. It has immense range of profile, and here's the thing. It is coffee's diversity, it is coffee's variety that makes it so awesome. If coffee all tasted like cinnamon, it would be boring. It would get old really fast. But coffee can have hints of lime, 
or nutmeg or molasses or chamomile or pineapple or even think of the range inside brewing devices. I have 16 brew methods at home. This is my coffee station at home. This is my collection. I like to get a bag of beans and run it through the gauntlet. <laughs> and what I find is something unique gets pulled out of that brewer only that specific brewer that this one doesn't pull out of it. And the next one pulls something slightly different out of it. It's a different hue out of those beans. These beans are unique from anywhere else in the world. They're unique from all the other beans all over the world. And me brewing it through a different device pulls out, it expresses a different nuance of the flavor or the clarity or the body or the finish that the other coffees won't do. This is awesome, right? Gosh, I know I'm passionate about this, but this is, this is awesome. Diversity makes coffee interesting and fun and adventurous and always fresh. And coffee's diversity, coffee's otherness, reflects God's. God is one and other. God is three persons in union as one being. Our language just doesn't do justice to this reality. Protestants like to try to figure it out. We like to, like, let's, let's put a picture for this. God is like an egg. Or God is like water, right? It's like to try to explain the Trinity as if we could do that. The Eastern Orthodox Church, they come to the conversation totally different. They're like, this is the mysterium tremendum. It's this tremendous mystery of God. We, come, we approach it with this awe, with this wonder. We try to talk about it. How do we figure out three in one? Mm, we can't do that. Our brains just can't do that. So let's set up camp at awe and wonder. That's why he's God. It's, he's three in one, yes. What does that mean? I don't know. We'll find out one day. This being is unexplainable. This being is ineffable. Our language is extraordinarily limiting when it comes to God. That's why we use metaphor. That's why we use story, just to scratch the surface of understanding the divine. Gosh, I mean, we're probably going to get to eternity one day and show up and just be like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I had such a small picture of who you were. You are so much grander than I thought. So God is one and other. And this part is so important. Oneness doesn't mean sameness. Three persons in the Trinity are distinct. They're necessary. There's diversity even in God. And each person in the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, they're constantly elevating the other. They're constantly bringing attention and honor to the other. And what I hope to communicate today is similarly, God made us uniquely one, one humanity, yet astoundingly diverse, which is a marvelous gift. Diversity and variety and other, it is a gift to be cherished. But, that's a big but, as long as sin is involved, uniqueness creates problems. When sin is involved, which it will be until eternity shows up, when you find other, you're going to find complications. This is why it's so important that we grasp this. Every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. The determining factor for you is going to be in how you think about other. Because classically, we're not great at thinking about other. We're not great with other. Other means I have the potential to be superior to you. Which also means I have the potential to be inferior to you. I have the capacity to elevate myself above you. I have the capacity to be oppressed under you. Other means there will be misunderstandings because you don't see the world the way I do. Other means you might be a threat to me. We might have to power up for resources or influence or prestige or power because your survival could mean my extinction. Other is beautiful 
Variety is wonderful. Diversity is a spectacular gift, but it it also might make you a potential hazard to me. Someone's going to survive. I'd prefer it be me. Someone's going to have a more comfortable life. I'd prefer it to be mine. You following? Every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. You got to decide what are you gonna, how are you going to think about other? How are you going to frame your brain, your mindset, your perspective to think about other? We're not great with other, but God is so great with other. So I'd like to show you today what Jesus has to say about how we think about other. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have Bibles on the table scattered throughout the room if, if you didn't bring your Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, you could take one of those home with you. And I'm going to have the text up on the screen as well. This is Luke 10. I'm starting in, in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return... I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. A little context to help you fill in the cracks here. An expert in the law, the Torah, the religious law, approaches Jesus. Basically, he'd be like a religion professor or a Bible scholar today. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Kind of a classic question theologically in that day. Jesus' response, you're an expert. What does the Torah say? A response to a question with a question? You ever want to sound smart, just answer a question with a question. This guy's testing Jesus, and in one response, Jesus turned the tables on him. This man responds, love God with everything you got, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, that's right. Jesus is so clever. So clever. This reminds me of like my favorite knock-knock joke. You want to help me out with this one? Start it. Sit, sit. Who's there? <laughs> Jesus is so clever, right? <laughs> Sorry to say it. This guy comes up testing Jesus, and the next thing you know, he's fighting for a grade. It's, it's oh, so good. Much to learn you still have, right? This expert, he's like, he's sensing that there's some weight to the conversation now. He's like, wow, that was quick. You, you're good, Jesus. So he throws out a doozy. And how do you define neighbor, Jesus? Jesus says, let me tell you a story. This, this guy was walking on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this is actually a well-known road in this time. 
It's a 17-mile walk, and it's infamous for crime, for muggers, for getting killed even. So it's not surprising to find out that this guy, he gets jumped really quick, and they mug him, and they beat him right up to death, and they leave him on the side of the road. And who happens to walk by? A priest. Oh, thank God. But this priest probably had a day off. He was Sabbathing or something because he crosses the road to the other side, walks past the guy. Then the Levite shows up. And this sounds like a first century bar joke, right? So like a priest and a Levite walk into a bar. Like that's how Jesus is starting this, right? Levi, he, Levite walks up to the guy, walks right around the guy too. Why a priest and a Levite? From the nature of their jobs, from the nature of their office, they were obligated. They were clearly obligated to acts of mercy. So you could totally count on these two guys helping, serving, caring for someone when they're in need. But in this case, they were different. Maybe because no one was watching. At this point, though, this guy, this religious expert, he's talking to Jesus. He's probably expecting Jesus to say, and then a common Jewish man walks up and kind of saves the day. Oh, but to save the day, Jesus sends in somebody completely unexpected, a Samaritan. The hero of the story. Now, a lot gets lost here in time, in context, in translation. We miss a good deal of the flavor. We miss a good deal of the hatred that Jesus is speaking into, that he's confronting in the story. Because for us, we hear Good Samaritan, and that brings with it positive connotations. You know, Good Samaritan is looked on with respect, with favor. We'd have Good Samaritan laws to protect people these days, right? But Jews and Samaritans had a hostile relationship with each other. Samaritans, they're, they're, they were a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. Jews thought of them as half-breeds. In fact, Jews disliked Samaritans so much that the only good Samaritan would have been a dead Samaritan. That's how, that's how they thought about them. So when Jesus talks about a Samaritan coming in on, on the scene, and this is the generous guy, this is the compassionate one, this is the selfless one, this fire no doubt starts rising in this guy's belly. To contextualize it for you, Jesus' story today might be like the good communist or the good terrorist. Or the good Chargers fan, right? <laughs> Jesus' story would have offended his listeners. No Jew is going to be the, the hero of this story today. The good Samaritan is going to come save the day. I bet even Jesus is telling this story with a little smirk. I could just see it. He's like, I know this is getting at this guy. And then he tells the story, he finishes the story, and he looks at the guy and says, we're talking about neighbors here, Yeah? I think I was like, yeah. Who do you think out of the three was a neighbor to the dying man? And it's pro- I'm probably gritted teeth. The guy's like, the one who had mercy on him. I mean, he couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. Jesus probably nods. Now go act like the Samaritan. Oh, I wish I was watching this conversation. I would love to see the, the, the from reel on this one. And he got him. He got him so good. This guy comes testing Jesus, and he got him. It's like that scene on Zootopia. She hustled you. You know that? She hustled you good. I love that. Love it. We got to see what Jesus is doing here. He's he's attacking a root. He's cutting at a source. How do you think about other? People who think Jesus and Scripture are, are, they're, that they're irrelevant for today, they haven't spent too much time with Jesus, and they haven't spent too much time in Scripture. Our world is electrically polarized right now. Anger's on the rise. The news, the social media, all, all the social media outlets, they just pour fire on that fuel. Fuel on that fire. Screaming matches, demonizing in the other. We live in a fractured world. 
a world that's in need. It's desperate need of agents of love and unity and harmony. And this is precisely the context into which Jesus is throwing this story. He's calling out the religious experts' narrow definition of neighbor. How small of a circle have you drawn for who gets let in? How small of a circle have you drawn for who deserves honor? In all your wisdom, who deserves to be treated with dignity? Now, you may think, come on, Josh, we're in L.A. We're a deep blue city. We're progressive. We celebrate celebrate diversity. We love it. And the reality is it's not that simple. It's not as binary as are you a racist or not. It's really not. This is an exceptionally nuanced conversation. It includes religion. It includes gentrification. It includes environmental concerns. It includes gun laws and parenting styles and how people drive in traffic. And if you're a Chargers fan, (laughs) I'm going to kick it today, baby. Go Raiders. (laughs) Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan aggressively attacks the issue of other. All right, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who deserves to be treated like a human being? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The the question is not who is your neighbor. The question is will you be a neighbor? You don't get to build walls and and decide who gets gets allowed in and and who gets left out. The the conversation about defining neighbor, let's just throw that out. Let's start over. The conversation we need to be having is will you become a neighbor? Not if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But if the question should be if I don't stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? He's a soul. He deserves to be treated with dignity. And the whole dignity conversation blows my mind, even that we have to have the conversation. We ask, are we going to give this person dignity? You know what that is? It's condescending. It's patronizing because you can't give dignity to anybody. They already have it. You can't add or gift dignity to another. It's already there. It's present in the soul. Your only choice is whether you want to affirm it or not. It's so self-exalting. I think I can give what only God can give. You can deny it, but you can't give dignity to any man or woman. That happened at creation. You can only proclaim the dignity that's already present in their soul. What Jesus is getting at is if you're going to love people, if you're going to plan on being a neighbor, you have to first realize that no one has any less dignity than you do. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone carries the divine in their soul. This world, it needs healing. We need reconciliation so badly. But if you can't get the dignity piece first, If you can't figure out the dignity piece on the front side, the conversation has nowhere to land. Diversity, the the beauty of the other. Diversity is not an accident. It's God's intention. It's God's gift to us. You're not one in a million. You're one in eternity. And if you have a problem with people who aren't like you, if you have a problem with other, you don't have a problem with them. You have a problem with God. Racism and prejudice and bigotry, they scream God screwed up. That he should have made everyone like me. And I think I'm the standard of perfection or beauty. You ever notice that little kids don't have a problem with diversity? They don't care if you look different. I mean, they'll tell you you look different. <laughs> Dude, you got a big nose. <laughs> oh, but you got a tractor truck? Why don't you come play in a sandbox with me? Right, they don't care. Or if you give a little kid three red crayons versus a hundred Crayola crayons in that box. You know that big box with all the crazy colors like Tickle Me Pink and Neon Carrot and Fuzzy Wuzzy and Macaroni and Cheese? Like those are real Crayola colors, by the way. You give a kid three red crayons versus a hundred of funky name, who, what's he going to choose? You go to Vegas on those odds, right? We learn into prejudice. 
we learn into systemic dehumanizing of those different from us, depersonalizing other, diminishing other, silencing other. This is a side note, and I really feel the need to throw this in today. Many of us who grew up with immense privilege, immense privilege, and were completely unaware of how the system was rigged in our favor, many of us are waking up. I know we still don't fully get it. I'm sorry we still don't fully get it. I know we have so much to learn, and I'm sorry we still have so much to learn. Don't tell you, millions of us are waking up. Millions of us are listening. We're asking a new set of questions. We're aware of things that we used to be blind to. And this is how movements happen. When a smaller group becomes more aware of what they used to be blind to, that's how movements happen. And side sign tangent, in case you don't know, colorblind is not what we're shooting for. Colorblind or diverse blind or other blind, it's insulting is what it is. I'm, I'm going to diminish your otherness so that you can just be a reflection of myself to myself. That's narcissistic is what that is. And why would God give me eyes to see color if I'm not supposed to see color? Right? The design from the beginning was other. The intentionality from the beginning was diversity. I mean, think of a body with one body part. An entire body of, like, earlobes. <laughs> I mean, earlobes are nice, right? Amanda has nice lobes. <laughs> you got nice lobes, baby. <laughs> for anyone single, there's your pickup line for the day, all right? That one's free. But entire body of lobes? That's just nasty. Sounds like a good horror flick. Maybe bad heart like Tom, right? Maybe there's something out there like that. I want to proclaim boldly that in our church at City Reach LA, we don't tolerate diversity. We celebrate it. We honor it. We need each other. We need other. Every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. The determining factor for you is going to be in how you think about other. Because without other... We have a less clear picture of who God is because he made us in his image. Yes, things need to change. Certain systems need to die off, and we need to fight for that. We all have convictions we believe are worth fighting for. But I want to submit today that the fight can be done with roots of honor. The fight can be approached from a foundation of dignity. The conversation doesn't work if it begins with ego. We have to begin with our brokenness. Because if we can do that, if we can start the conversation from our unfolding, our evolving journey, if we can enter the conversation with humility, our convictions, our activism, it actually has a chance of being heard. It actually has a chance of being compelling. Because it's possible to do the right thing in the wrong way. It's completely possible to be right in the wrong way. The power is in how you hold truth. When truth is not held when, it, when, it's, when it's embraced with, with a particular humility, when it's not, when it's not held with, this, with the humility, that truth just becomes another fist. That truth becomes just another gun. You see, the ego loves to cling to the, to the idea that I'm ahead, that I get it, and the other is behind. And I confess, I mean, I'm dead in the middle of this thing. I'm right in the middle of that mess too. I walk into a room of people and I start othering, for real. I start positioning myself. I start ranking the room. I judge in my heart. Guys, the human heart is dark. We are dark. 
It is selfish. It is power hungry. We need Jesus to redeem us. I need Jesus to redeem me. And the starting point is confession. Jesus, I need your help. I need your redemptive power. Change me. Because ego fighting, power arguing does not work. But when you're profoundly aware, when you're deep, deeply conscious of the, the long way that you still have to go, you do more good to those around you. And you actually give your message a shot at being heard. You guys with me? Okay. Please hear me. It's really important that we march. It's really important that we rally, that we organize, that we speak out. But if we want it to be effective, not just noisy, if we want it to be truly transformative, it's got to be grounded in the dignity of our shared humanity. What are you grounded in? You see, Jesus asks us to be, he asks us to be rooted in something way deeper, way more ancient than your ego or your religious or political beliefs. What Jesus is interested in is something way deeper than your words or how I feel about your words. He's interested in the shared dignity of the other. Imagine Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. getting offended that somebody tweeted something unpleasant about him. We kind of giggle at that, right? Why? Because he was rooted in something deeper than his own feelings. He was rooted in the transcendent depths of our shared humanity, of our shared identity as, huma- as human beings, as one. This is why, for example, people who are always pissed off at the president eventually just get annoying. And, I, and I'm not, not saying that I don't constantly get pissed off at the president. <laughs> but a constant barrage of complaining and degrading another and demonizing another, it gets old. And it doesn't accomplish wholeness. What our society needs, what our culture needs, is people who move beyond merely standing against something to eventually standing for something. The people who move things forward, the ones who truly catalyze change, they're far more devoted to something meaningful than they are to tearing something down that's crappy. We have a sense of what they stand for, and that's what moves us. As followers of Jesus, we're called to stand for deep and meaningful and eternal things. And a big one is reconciliation. Check out what Paul says to these Christians in Corinth. He says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. This new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Reconciliation, what does that mean? It means to restore relationship, to cause harmony where there is conflict. Divided families are in need of, of, of restoration, of reconciliation. Broken marriages, separated marriages are in need of reconciliation. Our government is in need of reconciliation. Nations at war are in need of reconciliation. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you have been commissioned as an agent of reconciliation. Your job is a harmonizer. It's a peacemaker. If we're not about helping people reconcile, we're not the church. You know what simply... Reconciliation is, it's being a neighbor. It's expanding my narrow definition of neighbor to being someone that's radically committed to neighboring the soul in front of me, the other. Jesus has life figured out. Reconciliation transforms the world. 
Very practically, how do we love neighbor well? Or how do we love someone completely different than us? Because that's what we're talking about here, right? How do I love, how do I do neighboring well with someone who's completely other than me? Whether in skin color or political color or religious color or flag color or house color. Harry Potter fans out there, what, what? No matter your color, we all bleed the same color. We're one. We're other, but we're one. Every opportunity is a moment to either fracture the world or make it more whole. The determining factor for you is going to be in how you think about other. So I want to be practical today before we leave. How do I walk out of these doors and help call out the transcendent dignity that's in someone else? I want to give you four quick suggestions. First, look them in the eyes. Look at other. Actually see them. What does this accomplish? It tells them that you're giving them your attention. And when you give someone your attention, you show them that they matter. Your time is valuable. So when you look someone in the eyes, you're telling them the most important thing in the world to me right now is you. You can give someone money, and then you can go make some more money. You can give people significant material possessions that you care about, and then you can go get new ones. But when you give someone your time, you share something with them that you can never get back. And it starts in the family. Don't worry about changing the world if you don't want to commit to loving your family well. Dads, your kids and your wives, they don't want more stuff. They want you. That's the most costly thing you can give them. You know, when you look someone in the eyes, you honor their dignity. Look people in the eyes. Second, shut up. You want to neighbor someone? Just shut up. (laughs) One of the most powerful love organs you have is your ear. Some of you dirty minds in here, you need to repent. Here's the altar. I'll pray for you right now. Heathens need to come back to Jesus. Use your ears. There are wrong ways to listen. When I listen to find out how we disagree, I'm breeding hate. Listen to understand. There's a nugget for you. Seek to understand before being understood. Seek to understand before being understood. That'll take you a long way. And that's what it means to listen. And that's probably why God gave you two ears and one mouth. It seems like an obvious. I bet he's like, why haven't they figured this out yet? (laughs) Shut up and listen. And when you listen, hear what they're actually saying. Actively listen. You can be in conversation with someone and thinking about something else. Like some of you listening right now, but thinking what you're going to have for lunch when you leave here, right? I see it every single week. I know that the eyes glossed over. I'm very familiar with this. It's okay. (laughs) To be a neighbor, love other, listen to them. Hear them. And to do that, you got to shut up. Third, learn from them. You can learn from everyone. You can learn from anyone if you know the right questions. Because everyone's ignorant. Everybody is ignorant in some way or another. It's on certain topics, on certain subjects, everybody's, if, everybody's ignorant. If I sit with you for 15 minutes and I listen, I'm going to learn something. Because you know things I don't know. Everyone has profound truth and wisdom in them, but many people are never given the opportunity. Many many people are never honored as one that's dignified to let that truth out. How do you find out? How do you find what's in there? How do you draw it out with questions? Questions like, what books have influenced your life? What are you most passionate about when you're not working? What pain has influenced your life? Why are you still rooting for the Chargers? Gosh. You can learn 
if you shut up and listen for a little bit. So you go in with the mindset that you're going to learn from them. Lastly, laugh with them. Humor is the great equalizer. It lowers tension. You know the root word for humor and humility come from the same. It's the, the hummus, hummus, right? It's the earth. It comes from the earth. People have this proper awareness of themselves and understanding of themselves. And people who know how to laugh, not take everything so seriously, not take themselves so seriously, they're, they're grounded and they're rooted in something deeper than themselves. And one of the marks of humility is to be able to, the ability to laugh at yourself. You know, if you can laugh at yourself, you're going to make friends easy. If you can laugh at yourself, you're never going to run out of material. <laughs> we had tons of material. <laughs> if you can discover something you can both laugh about, not in the denial of the reality of your shared conflict, but in the commitment of the reality of your shared humanity, you know, this middle ground that you can find humor together, that's humanizing. You can't share a good laugh with a duck. You could laugh at the duck. You can't share a good laugh with a duck, right? Humor brings people together. It, it dignifies the other soul. It says, even though that you're other, I see you and I honor you. Let's move beyond war to something more powerful, laughter. Look them in the eyes, shut up, learn from them, laugh from them. Four simple suggestions to love neighbor well. Maybe even importantly, maybe more importantly, though, to be a good neighbor. These types of people reconcile the world. They join Jesus in making this place more whole, and the world needs more people like this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close in a, a song of response and worship to God. So here's the thing. Jesus invented coffee. And he made it wildly diverse. Jesus invented humanity. And he made it wildly diverse. And because we are so wildly other, every moment is an opportunity to either fracture the world or make it more whole. The determining factor for you is going to be in how you think about other. What do you want your contribution to be? We can choose our sides. We can make war. I like make coffee, not war. It's one of my favorite things. We can cling to our ideologies and our philosophies and our other ologies and our other osophies, or we can extend a hand. We can heal the world. We can rise up as the church and join Jesus in his ministry of reconciliation and watch it transform our families and watch it transform our neighborhoods and watch it transform our city. What do you want your contribution to be? Jesus, we love you. And we honor you today. That you've made us so radically different, yet so radically one. And I pray that you would rise that up in our hearts today. As we sing to you, God, I pray that you would bring to mind the places in our lives that need redemption, that need reconciliation, that need peace, that need harmony, God. And that you'd give us courage to run into those places and speak life to speak hope and to speak laughter. God, help us to be like you. Help us to be like you, we pray.